Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Marketers podcast, a NZ Tech Marketers group passion project where we interview inspiring career marketers working in some of New Zealand's leading brands. We're very excited for you to join us today for this episode of the New Zealand Tech Marketers podcast and enjoy this interview with Daya Mistorovich. Today, Daya will talk to us about her story, advice for her younger self, and top metrics marketers need to consider. Daya, can you tell us a bit about your experience and how you ended up in the tech and digital space? Yeah, I will. Um, it's I've had a bit of an unconventional maybe um, way here. I started out uh, by studying political science at uni um, and then wanting something with a bit more of a uh, commercial spin. I worked into marketing and management at uni. Sorry, I hope you can't hear. I've got um my computer is making a bunch of noises, but I've just turned them off. <laughs> um, and so while I loved both of those disciplines, it was marketing really that I wanted to focus on. So I continued on to do my master's in marketing, um, and my thesis focused on critical marketing, uh, which sort of brought in both sides of my love for political science and marketing. Um, then from there, I started out by working in the strategic comms team at the Christchurch City Council. Um, there I worked alongside other marketers, uh, designers, engagement officers, uh, and media professionals. Mm -hmm. My colleagues were ex-journos, so I learned a lot from them uh, about assessing media risk and about crafting good news stories with your audience in mind. Uh, and then it was from there that I really launched into um, sort of the digital space. So I sort of went to the other end of the spectrum from, from council to a digital agency. Um, and their key services were websites, apps, software, UI, UX design, uh, and then some brand design as well in conjunction with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and like most agency environments, it was really fast paced um, and, and motivated by, you know, being at the top of your game. Um, you, you're the specialist, um, essentially, that, that in-house marketers are often outsourcing to. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a really good place to learn um, and hone my craft because the the sheer variety of products and industries and markets and scale of operations and audiences that you're exposed <laughs> to um, and that you end up having to put your strategic hat on for is just staggering. Um, I, I often think about agency years like dog years where one year in an agency is worth three years in an in-house role in terms of the rate, just the rate that you're upskilling really. Um, and the diversity also of all the roles. Different. Yeah, they're totally different ways of working and there's pros and cons that I found in, in both. Yeah. Um, and after that, I moved client side, but I really didn't want to lose um, the proximity to digital because it's something that I, I, I found that I really loved. Um, and from there, I moved to a small scale up, which is where I'm at currently. Um, we're called Natural Paint Co. So we're a pretty young team, pretty hungry, um, Christchurch based we our ethos is to disrupt a pretty old school archaic um and traditionally pretty boring industry which is the building industry um mm -hmm. and to give you an idea of some of the products we sell it's things like house paints and deck stains and timber oils that kind of thing mm -hmm. um where where a lot of our competitors um are reliant on ingredients that use things like petrochemicals where We've reimagined house paint formulations. We like to think, you know, we're house paint for the future, um, where it's all natural and, and you know, re renewable resources. Uh, and the coolest thing about my role is that it's e-commerce focused. So I haven't lost um, lost the 
that proximity to digitally focused marketing and um, and managing digital assets, even though I've moved to product marketing. Cool. Yeah. So I guess you talk to where I am. Yeah. So could you just talk a little bit about your core roles and what you're doing today and like the specifics of each of those roles? So you said that the council was a generalist mm. marketing and such. So mm-hmm. could you just expand on that a bit? Yeah, sure. Um, it was um, at the council there, I worked on both portfolio style projects as well as one-off campaigns. Um, and that was nice to have that variety and to learn the, the different pace of projects that comes with that um but in general what that role required was quite a lot of stakeholder management and coordination between multiple parties um which was a really great skill to learn straight off the bat in my career because if that's not a transferable skill I don't know what is right (laughs) um and then moving to a digital agency I worked briefly in digital marketing Um, I sort of I like to say that I worked on the edges of digital marketing um and that's because when I see the level of technical knowledge that some of the great digital marketers that I've worked around have it's it's just staggering it really is above my head I feel so um, I certainly couldn't and wouldn't call myself a specialist there um so I quickly moved into marketing strategy and in the agency environment and that's really probably where my heart and my head lies um it's where I sit naturally as a strategic marketer uh that role meant that I was largely providing strategic marketing recommendations to a number of different clients whether that be about around um branding or product launches or key promotional activities um, really truly a variety of just marketing problems and goals and uh, my in my current role I now sit at the head of the natural paint co-marketing team and again my role there is really varied um, because we're a small scale up you know you're often um, rolling up your sleeves and getting stuck into things that maybe might not even traditionally be in your job description Mm -hmm. Um, and and really the the aim overarching aim of my uh, role is to get big year on year growth figures, um, uh, and 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 by doing that we would be growing our e-commerce revenue, um, and that hinges a lot on the quality of our external agency relationships and how we utilize those teams as resources, mm-hmm. um, how we manage our internal uh, resources, our people, our most important asset really. Um, and then how we use both of those um, assets to speak to our customers effectively and, of course, cost efficiently, yeah. <laughs> which is every marketer's, uh, you know, aim. Definitely. What You've talked a little bit about all your different roles. What advice would you give to your younger self, um, you know, starting out, you know, when you're at the council? Or... Mm, mm, yeah. Um, when I think back to that time, what I think that I wish I had done was to find a really good mentor or a really good network of senior marketers to learn from and to surround yourself with. I don't I don't think that you can under, uh, underestimate how much you can learn from actively observing the thought process that a good or great marketer goes through. Um and there's, there's a ton of ways that you can incorporate good marketing role models into your world. One, one way is to be really conscious early in your career around the roles that you do take on. So asking yourself the questions, are there other marketers in the company that I can learn from? Is, is it an environment that is committed to the development of its people? 
Now, there's, of course, a balance to strike. Sometimes your first role is just a matter of getting your foot in the door and taking whatever's on offer. Um, but your second or third roles in particular can really help propel you forward in your career um, when there's a good network of marketers there um, already. Or you set yourself up with a good network of senior marketers or mentors outside of your current role as well, equally valid. Um, and I guess... I guess the take-home message there for me, you know, as, as the advice I'd give to my younger self is that you just, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And I like to surround myself with people smarter than myself. Um, it's the easiest way to widen your circle of knowledge. Yeah, definitely. That's an interesting kind of point as well, because you, you know, you want to learn from marketers, but also something that in a previous podcast that was brought up was oh. actually just learning about the product in a non-marketing mm -hmm. sense as well. Yeah. So actually having like a full under a 360 view of what the product is and what it's doing for people and then how you can use the marketing as well to help with that. Yeah. And that has been a really big learning curve for me coming as like I said into the building industry. You know, it's, it's it was really unfamiliar to me. Um but that was half the challenge as well. And so um I, I really enjoyed getting stuck in there. And 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 while that's a very traditional um a product the the same applies to anything whether you're talking about a digital product or a service or, or anything it's it's getting stuck in and in um and really trying to understand what your customer is is considering yeah definitely well i guess next um what are some top metrics you think businesses or more specifically marketers need to consider mm. um for for marketers i I don't think I need to go over the super standard ones. Um, I don't need to teach people how to suck eggs because I know <laughs> that there are some really, um, you know, talented and, and experienced marketers that will be listening in. Um, but the ones that I think that are really powerful or that you, know, you can't look past is um, having a reliable cost per acquisition figure because it's invaluable for budgeting, for, for assessing the performance of your campaigns um and for explaining how transformative your work is or can be yeah um now i'm sure you'll all know that for a cost per acquisition figure to be meaningful you also need to know what your average customer lifetime value is obviously if it costs you ten dollars to acquire a customer that can be great or that can be horrible news depending on whether a customer is expected to return you two dollars or two thousand eh? yeah um but that customer lifetime value figure can sometimes be really tricky depending on a number of things, depending on, um, you know, the the data gathering uh, processes that you already have in place when, when you enter a, a company, you know, the, the, the processes that you inherit um, or based on the product that you have or, the, or just the, um, the unpredictability of your market and your audience. Yeah. Um, but what I found is that it can be particularly tricky in small to medium businesses. Um, uh, so I would, I, I always uh, really push for there to be some good, robust calculations and modeling done there so that your marketing team can have certainty in the data. Um, and then aside from that, the other key metric is customer retention rate. And I, the reason I bring that one up is because it acts as a bit of a canary in the mines. Uh, it can be a really key health indicator of whether you have wider issues at play in the organization, whether it point to issues with your, your product design or your QA, 
or your uh, onboarding program or your account management essay. It's any any number of things. And it's it's not about playing the blame game, but rather about taking the true meaning of marketing, which is to use insight to create a better all-round customer experience. Not just, you know, that simplistic interpretation that we all find, which is marketing equals advertising and promotion, right? There's so much more to it. Um, yeah, definitely. Look at holistically. Um, did I answer the question? Oh, businesses. Top yes. metrics for businesses. Uh, in general, um, if, for, it's a, I suppose this is quite generalized advice, but for me it would be to focus on outputs rather than just the inputs of your marketing team. Now, um, I'm conscious that some marketers might hear that and feel like I'm shooting us all in the foot by saying that. <laughs> um, but my caveat there is that I would also say to businesses that it's really, really important to look, um, when you're looking at your inputs, versus your marketing team's inputs versus outputs, is to know the expected timeline of return on those activities that you are assessing uh, and to take that the lead from, that, from your marketing team. Um, we know that longer term brand marketing might not return a sale or a converted lead the very next day, right? Um, so when you know the timelines that your marketing team have designed this activity around, you then have a way of validating whether the inputs you see from the marketing team, for example, the three blog posts they wrote that month, um, are returning valuable outputs in the scenario that might be traffic to your website or button clicks to your, to your product page. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really valuable and actually understanding the difference from a marketing perspective and a business perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you use these metrics to create future decisions around the directions of marketing or business objectives? Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, already mentioned it, but it's, you know, it's the bane of every marketer's day-to-day life. Um, uh, that a lot of your performance metrics will um, have the single biggest impact on the marketing budget that is allocated to your team um, and then cash flow of course being the other piece of the puzzle um, so it's it's understanding that cost per acquisition that the customer lifetime value the expected incoming revenue to figure out budget allocations and ultimately how much room you've got to play with when it comes to tactics um, and that can also be really uh, helpful as well those metrics for you as a marketer building a business case for whether it's your annual annual budget, whether it's um, you know one-off supplementary budget allocated for a, a new opportunity that's presented itself, um, those are the ones that on a on a like really fundamental day-to-day basis are the ones that I use and that I know most marketers um, get value from in trying to create future decisions. Definitely. Um, talking about the metrics and bits and pieces like that, are there some metrics or data tools that you would recommend that you use on a daily basis or in your roles? Yeah, this was a good question. Um, and look, I don't know that I have any that are out of the box or that will be a surprise to, to, um, anybody listening. Um, it's, you know, things that I am using on a daily basis are usually Google Data Studio for dashboarding and high-level performance metrics. Um, And that's really helpful to have, you know, different views for even different business units or different areas of the business, whether that be even, um, you know, operations or things like your um, co-founders or your C-suite or your board. 
um, in then Google Analytics for the more granular detail and diagnostics of, of what you might be seeing at the dashboarding level. And lastly, Hotjar for just a really great blend of both quantitative and qualitative data on web usage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you get to see data in the aggregate when they combine findings from every Hotjar recording. And sorry, and this is a heat mapping software. This is the one that I use. There are lots of different ones that are just as great on the market. Um, but I find, um, you know, in the the insights that you might find there are that 90% of people are clicking on this one particular icon on your website because they expect it to be a clickable element and you, you didn't expect it to be a clickable <laughs> element. Um, but equally, that heat mapping um, can provide some really interesting qualitative insight into how people are interacting with the design that you put out. Uh, you know, how fast are they navigating to new functionality and how how easy is it for them to use to the new the new functionality? And sometimes you can only really understand that just by literally watching people um, navigating. Um, and if anything, it's it's so easy to get lost in watching recording after recording. I um I actually have to set myself a stopwatch so that I don't you know lose my afternoon because I yeah, yeah I find it quite immersive and quite fascinating. Yeah, and we what I found as well, we use Hotjar to and we just set it, you know, an hour once a week, one yeah. one morning, just to go through the recordings and have some findings from it, which yeah. is quite valuable because then you're not spending too much time and it's not too much work because you're doing it regularly. Yeah, do you know what I've um I've found really fun, um, and it, this this will depend on the makeup of your team and and all that, but um I like to have a quarterly session where I bring in just other people from the business who was interested actually, and we have a few drinks and we sit down and we just show them screen recordings and it's a re- it's actually a really <laughs> fun session um and it's you you get sometimes you even get really interesting insight from you know from other people with different perspectives um that you wouldn't have thought of as well of oh why is this the way that it is or maybe this is something that we could be doing better so yeah I found that also really helpful oh cool (laughs) um what are some tips for getting the most out of your data so we talked about the different tools but you know Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. tool is only as good as the data that you put into it so what are some tips for getting the most out of your data yeah, I mean, I think number one, I, I couldn't go past segmentation, segmentation, segmentation. Um, secondly, I would say don't interpret data in isolation. And I've already spoken to, to one example um, that that would apply to the that cost per acquisition figure. Again, taking a $10 CPA figure in isolation, that doesn't mean anything. Um, make sure that you're always including organizational and environmental context when you're interpreting that data and then equally when you're presenting data to anybody outside the team. Okay. Um, and lastly, visualize the data or turn the data visual. Um, and sometimes that can be the difference I've found um, between turning data into meaningful information. Um, for example, you, you can see trends easier. And again, equally important for interpretation as it is for when you're presenting um, or, or speaking to figures um, to anyone outside the team. Okay, that's great. Thanks for those um, those tips. Mm. Um, so we're talking a little bit about getting the most out of your data. Do you have any mm. tips for improving your data? Mm-hmm. And, and and like I say, that's why I couldn't go past that first one because that would be, you know, my 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 top tip is segmentation um 
and I'll give you actually I think three tips on on segmentation as a way of improving data um, and that is to get as many expert eyes over your segmentation logic and sometimes that includes um, uh, bringing in your founders or your higher ups uh, who might have more context or time with the customer sometimes that means um, bringing in your digital agency to see if they have any specialized recommendations um, and it, it again comes back to the fact that you don't know what you don't know hey um, yeah you can put together your best um, educated uh, assumptions but then you need to test those assumptions by getting that in front of other people mm-hmm. um, secondly automate your data cleansing just because it will save you a bunch of of time um, and and insanity almost um mm-hmm. but my third tip um which is a caveat to number two is yes automate your data cleansing but also put regular data cleansing reminders in your di- in your diary to put a human eye across the automation that you've set up is it um doing what you're expected or is it enough or do you or you know is there something that you need to be pulling back on um, I, when I say automate, it's I certainly don't view that as a set and forget model. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, what do you believe is the biggest challenge for digital marketers and how can data and metrics solve it? Yeah, look, I um, for me, it's turning your data into a story. And I feel like a bit of a cliche saying that, but unfortunately I actually just find it to be very, very true. It's a cliche for a reason, eh? Yeah. Um, it can help you to communicate the value of your work and of your role. And I don't say that out of motivation for personal gain, but just because it's integral that other parts of the business understand the value of marketing. It's really important, I find, for your colleagues to understand why you do what you do. Uh, and and equally important for other stakeholders, whether that be C-suites, investors, board members, um, for them to get it, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, a message that a lot of our listeners will resonate with. (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure, yeah. (laughs) Um, Another just follow-on question from that, what are the biggest lessons you've learned as a digital marketer? Mm. Um, An obvious one for me is that it's more in terms of how you present uh, your digital marketing theories or report on an activity um, and not looking at any one piece of data in isolation. In addition to that, the big one for me also is learn to brief well. Learn what's in a good brief and what's in a bad brief on the whole and then very specifically for your um, the, the way that you would be using briefing in your um, organisation. For me, I think it it makes you hyper focus on your success criteria, and also then uh, creates mutually agreed upon success criteria. Once once you sh- are able to share that brief, it decreases miscommunication and aligns expectations across roles within the project group. Again, whether that's external um, external agencies or within your internal team or across other business units. Um. Uh, and it, it it it's a really important transferable skill to learn to brief well because for a marketer particularly actually because what it forces you to do is to condense your info down to the the key points um you know it's really easy to write a lovely fluffy um, brief just 
as much as it is easier often to write lovely fluffy um content digital yeah. content um but getting down to the to the nitty-gritty which is um, the cornerstone of communicating well right yeah definitely and actually understanding what your your main priority is because there's mm. always one main priority mm, and exactly. then secondary ones mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so actually exactly, communicating yeah. that to yourself as well <laughs> yeah 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 you're right it's, it's just as I find it's just as helpful um, for myself to organize you know the 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 chaos that often is a project start yeah definitely well, what would be three pieces of advice that you would give for digital marketers starting out? Mm, be a sponge. Um, like I said before, surround yourself with the right people to sponge off and to absorb from. Um, I think my second piece of advice would be to think carefully about your second and third role in your uh, career. Again, like I said, first one, sometimes you just need to you just need to get a job. You need to get your foot in the door. You need to learn. Um, but particularly moving on from that, I think it's important to take the time to really assess what area of marketing do you like or do you gravitate towards or, or, or you're naturally um, best at? What, what values are important to you in your next organization? Um, and I, of course, again, I say all of that within reason because nor do I think that you should be fearful to take a step into a role where you're worried you'll be pigeonholed. There will, there will always be awesome bosses out there that will take a punt on you, even if you don't have direct industry experience or because you haven't been agency side before, if that's where you're heading. Um, so I think there's a there's finding a balance in, in thinking about what your second and third roles are and whether they're the right stepping stones for you, essentially. Yeah. And uh, thirdly, I would say don't forget strategy. It's it's all too easy to get caught up in tactics. Um, and actually often it's stakeholders, your stakeholders, that can get caught up in tactics as well. And so I think there's some um, there's, there's strategy around how you manage that. But, yeah, for me, I would say fight for the value of strategy and then... Also, don't forget about the strategy when you get to writing your tactical plan and implementing your tactical plan. As um, yeah, all marketers have had some considerable challenges, what are some challenges you've had to face in digital marketing and how did you tackle them? Mm-hmm. Um, I, For me, it's it was trying to grasp some of the more technical sides of digital marketing. Um, like I said before, it's it's... Uh, I've been there, done that, and I and I learned that it wasn't something that um, naturally fit with my skill set. Um, and I guess I'm mostly talking about technical SEO here. Um, when I was in a role where that was relevant, the way I tackled it is by, like I say, being a sponge and just learning and learning and learning and committing time and prioritizing time on on learning. Um, and that was I was taking online courses um, uh, taking the opportunity to learn from developers that I happened to be sitting next to at the time Um, it was a really valuable resource Um, and finding senior digital marketers that have seen it all before you know the ones um, that have been around since the start of the internet now that yeah like I say the longer term way that I tackled that as a as a challenge is um, uh, knowing that 
look it it doesn't scratch a particular itch for me so uh steering myself and my career towards um positions that are focused on other areas of marketing and I think that's 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 super valid right you like I say you don't know what you don't know and so you need to try out different areas of marketing as best as you can to understand where you would like to fit in yeah that all makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> um who are some marketers you admire and why and who do you think we should call up next for the podcast this was a really easy one for um for me she doesn't know I'll be saying this either um Claire McCullum from Empire Mine. Um, she has so that is the digital marketing agency that we work with currently, yeah. um, and I've worked with her before in previous roles. Um, and she has worked across a variety of agencies um, that have different focuses. So she's you know the, the amount of um, clients and products and markets that she's touched and put her head to is just staggering. Um, but the real value is that she has customer empathy and she's clever and she is data-driven. And digital digital content is her jam and it just shows, it really shows in her work. And um, as, a, as a nice little add-on, she's also a fantastic baker, which never hurts. She makes a mean banana cake. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful i'll have to do a bit of research and, <laughs> and maybe ask for her banana cake recently we had one at, she she baked it one at our last whip and it just made the meeting go well much better you know <laughs> definitely well thanks for coming along daya you shared some fantastic insights and i'm sure our listeners feel the same mm-hmm. if you have any questions for daya or for future episodes please get, get in touch daya where can our listeners reach you the easiest way is on LinkedIn. Um, there's not many days around. You will find me. Or if that's all too hard, um, it might be easier to find Brit, Brittany, um, and she'll she'll get you all in touch. And if you'd like to reach out to us at Tech Marketers Group, you can find our website and social accounts in the notes below. For more info on the NZ Tech Marketing content, be sure to like this episode and give us a follow. Until next time.